You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMSCast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, David Schreiner Khan. He has a podcast called Smashing the Plateau. You can find that at smashingtheplateau.com. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to be here. I'm a big fan of um, breaking limits or, or just leveling up. When I look at personal and professional growth, for me, it's never like a line or an exponential curve. There's all, it looks more like stairs and sometimes with big jumps, sometimes with little jumps. To me, it feels like, a pla- like I'm breaking through plateaus both personally and professionally. Um, and that's just how it works out for me. <laughs> but um, how did you come up with smashing the plateau? Like, I love the brand. I love the name. What's the origin story of that? Um, it's actually what you just described, which is that business and life are nonlinear. And um, we often think about success in a linear progression. It doesn't actually work out that way. We're constantly hitting roadblocks. And I would describe roadblocks in three categories. When we're executing on a plan, the plan is based on what we know that we know and what we know that we don't know. So what we know that we know is easy. We, we know what, what to expect. We know how to plan it. We know how to execute it. What we know we don't know means we need to find some resources to fill in the gaps of what we don't know. Um, again, it's fairly easy to plan. You, you need to find the resources, um, acquire them, and execute using those resources. The biggest roadblocks are the ones that we don't know that we don't know, right? So, um, like, I'm, I'm traveling from um, before there were cross-country roads from uh, New York to California. And I didn't know that there were some big rivers in the, in the way, right? I had no clue. Um, so what do you do when you get there if, they, if you don't have bridges and you don't have boats, um, things like that. So those are the ones that are the hardest and they're the hardest, I would say, um, in terms of mindset and emotions because you don't expect them. And they're often really hard to solve. Um, so to me, a plateau can really describe any one of those roadblocks and the latter kind is the one that I have found to be the most difficult. That's awesome. I love that way of looking at the world. Um, I think of it like the yin yang or whatever. There's the, uh, there's like what your, your goals, but almost just as valuable as like what you don't know or is outside of your awareness. I've heard some people call that a ROI, a return on ignorance. Like if you really embrace that you don't know everything or you don't even, you may not even know the right question to ask. It's, it gives you a different approach to like working on breaking through plateaus to have that humility. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you serve the uh, expert space and like established, um, you call them mid-career and older expert coaches, consultants, um, people that have a lot of experience in something and are trying to navigate our world and smash through plateaus. Um, just to something we talk about a lot on this 
podcast, which I, I brought up on your podcast, Smashing the Plateau, is the five hats problem. So course creators have to become and step into the role of the expert, which is something that you help out with a bit and like helping get clarity around that. Um, they have to be teachers. So they have to not just know something, but they need to be able to transfer that knowledge and the ability to get results to another person. They have to be a community builder both before and after the sale. They have to be a technologist and then they have to do an entrepreneur, which includes all the business building and the marketing stuff. Um, what, how do you, given that framework, like how do you help people across some of those hats? Uh, well, to start with, um, when it comes to expertise, particularly people that have been in their field for a while, they are excited by solving complex problems. Um, the, the simple ones that they may have solved 10 years ago are not the ones that they most like spending their time on. However, if you're a business owner, the greatest value from a business perspective is one that you can actually solve simply and repeatedly, uh, which is right. So it's naturally counterintuitive to people who sell their knowledge and creativity. Um, so, so some people, some people call that the experts curse or they've lost the ability to step into or empathize with beginner's mind, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, so what you really need to do is, look back over your, um, particularly your, your, your recent business history, maybe the last several years, and see, uh, kind of map out your clients and look at um, who the best clients are that are easiest to work with and are the most profitable. Because clients typically will fall into four categories. They're the ones that um, are easy to work with, but you don't make a lot of money from them. There are the ones that you do make money from, but they're not so easy to work with. They're the ones that are not so profitable and hard to work with. You should fire those. Um, every so often you should go through your book of business and look at the ones that are in that last category and, and see how you can find a way to exit them out of your business. But, but the, the, the gold is the ones that are easy to work with and, um, and profitable, not just a lot of revenue, but profitable uh, because when you're selling your expertise, you're investing a lot of time in the process. No matter what your pricing structure is, um, you are most likely putting in some time, probably a fair amount of time. So you want to be able to optimize your time and be as profitable as possible. That usually means finding one thing that you can do repeatedly or maybe a small number of things that you can do repeatedly that have the most value for your target audience. So that's kind of step one. And you've got to figure that out before you can try to build your business. I really love that. That's a, um, so for those of you listening, uh, that's a, uh, what do you call it? A X, Y axis thing where you can plot out like profitability, easy to work with, unprofitable, not easy to work with and really get clear on that. Cause when you started describing that, when I think about some of my expertise, before we got into the product business of building core software, we did client work in that space. Um, I've had clients that we've done $80,000 plus of custom development, very complex, not as profitable as like $10,000 projects just where it's repeatable, systematic. 
So it's, it's easy as an expert to just go to the high dollar complex, but it's not as profitable. And often it strains the best resources of you. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting dilemma that experts correct. <laughs> right. Right. And when you look at those $10,000 projects where it's very repeatable and it's relatively easy to repeat them, next step is map out your processes and document them. Yeah. Right. Because your business isn't worth much to anybody else unless there's some kind of documented process. And in reality, what people pay the most for in the expert space is learning your system, right? So yeah. you have a system for creating courses. And um, for somebody who has never created an online course, that w if they can learn your system, whether it is through one-on-one -on -one guidance or through group guidance or just accessing um, written or audio or, or video material that will accelerate the, the, pro, the, the timeline for those clients and it's worth money to them. So I heard, think, I heard uh, there was a guy who was on this podcast a long time ago. His name was Frank Bria and he made a comment about high value consulting, like as an expert, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit kind of funny the way he phrases it, but it's kind of lazy. Like if you haven't, if you can't package that up in a system and you're just in that, you're handcuffed to your, your brain and your high value consulting and you fly in and you like flex your brain muscles and there's, it's not really process driven. You're just, you're just, you're just building business based on your expertise without slowing down and looking at and creating structure underneath it and repeatable processes, it's actually lazy behavior. <laughs> but if you're a high paid consultant, it's hard to get out of that or even be open to that idea. Yeah, well, keep in mind, any kind of transformation or change that you're trying to make for yourself or your business, is not gonna happen overnight. It's gonna yeah. take time. Um, yeah. And you may, want to make a major change in the way you're doing business because you realize it's not working so well for you. Um, but you still have to keep, uh, keep going on the current road and you still have bills to pay. So don't make yourself nuts that you have to throw everything out and change everything all at once. It's um, better to look at what kinds of steps you can take and in what order and with what timelines so that you can actually do it effectively. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And speaking of that timeline, I get this question a lot and I see a lot of course creators running into this. If they are like in your audience, like kind of mid career and older, they have a successful day job or, or um, their own business doing consulting and a lot of this high touch complex work. They tell me that they just can't carve out the time. There's, there's no extra time. So I don't, I don't really have a good answer for these people about how to start getting some time, even if it's small. What, what do you tell people when that question or that issue comes up is like, I really want to do this, but I just can't create the time. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, you know, you, you and I were talking, Chris, before we started recording um, about the number of people that I've interviewed on my podcast, Smashing the Plateau, which is- How many uh, is it? Uh, at this point, as of this recording, I don't know, it's 450 some odd, something yeah. like that. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a lot of people. Uh, um, you start, by the way? 
when did I start? Yeah. Um, five years ago, 2014. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard repeatedly from entrepreneurs is that those that appear to be the best at creating the kind of outcomes they want are really structured with their time. And they have time that they dedicate to activities that are not producing client work. And they're relentless about it. I had one, one guest early on who has half an hour a week of strategic thinking time. That's not a big sacrifice. Right. Like if you can't yeah. find 30 minutes that you can actually focus on strategic thinking, um, I think you got a real problem. Yeah. So there's this concept that, uh, I don't know where this, I heard this, but little hinges swing big doors. Not everything's linear, like you say. So, you know, there, I'm a big fan of think a lot, act a little like 30 minutes. If you give yourself permission to not multitask on and really focus in, like, for example, on what is the structure behind your complex problem solving that you can kind of systematize if you can eliminate distractions and really focus on that, like even once a week for in, in like three months, you might have something pretty solid there. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And also speaking of sort of multitasking and planning your time for your, for anyone out there who has not read the book, the one thing I encourage you to do it because it talks about essentially how you, apply the 80-20 rule in business and in life, that 80% of our success comes from 20% of our activities. How do you reverse engineer your um, use of time to create the kinds of successful outcomes that you desire in every area of your life, not just business, but relationships, spirituality, health and, and wellness? Um, it, it's, it's a worthwhile read. That's awesome. I'm in the middle of that on an audiobook right now. And I, it reminds me, I think back to um, a classic productivity book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. I remember listening to that on my uh, audiobook when I'm super busy. My kids were super young. Um, you know, I'm walking the dog, I'm doing the dishes. But that, like, just by investing like maybe four hours in that book spread out over like a couple weeks, game changer. Yes. Yeah. That's also a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And I still use all, a lot of that stuff like all the time. So. Yeah. And there, there's some very simple principles, but if you can follow even some of them, you'll be ahead. Yeah, totally. Um, another thing you mentioned is the importance of market research. Like if we're strapped for time and we want to be very strategic with like, how we're going to move and who we're going to serve. How do we do market research? Like I like the, uh, the, the idea of like doing the inventory on clients you enjoy plus profitability, but what else can we do to understand our, our market? Because sometimes we're so close to it. We just, we don't, we don't even think about that, but how can we be deliberate? So um, we should have some set of questions that we ask our best clients and customers and have a schedule for doing that. Like if you, if you have a kind of business, a consulting business where you have long-term clients, you know, maybe you want to have um, 
schedule a meeting with your, uh, with your client contact once a quarter where you just talk about how it's going. And also you should have questions that probe, like what are they really struggling with? And if, if um, a particular kind of problem could be solved, how would they feel? And what would it be worth to them? You'll, you'll probably uncover some um, unexpected opportunities that, that are mutual opportunities. You're, you have existing clients with a good relationship. They know, like, and trust you. They'd probably be happy to have you solve a particular problem. You just have to ask them what that problem is. And a lot of people don't do that. So that's kind of step one is just existing clients. One of my, uh, one of my past clients who served other businesses had a comment that your clients are not in the witness protection program. Like talk to them, <laughs> like outside of just delivering the service, like probe them, find out how else you can add value or, you know, what they're struggling with. Yeah. And I find that if you ask them, they tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's with the existing client. And, and then with um, people that, that aren't yet clients, or they may not become clients, but they're in your space, have some dedicated time set aside to actually have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. I mean, one of the things that, that I do is on the homepage of our website, smashingtheplateau.com, I have a button, schedule time with David. And I'm willing to give people... 30 minutes to hear where they're at, hear what their problems are, offer a few tips. If it turns out that they can be a client, great. And if not, that's okay too. But I'm also learning about the marketplace at the same time. So it's, it works both ways. It's important for them to get some ideas and it's important for me to hear from people who are out there who are not currently clients. How, uh, how did you, as, your, as yourself an expert and somebody who cares about understanding your market, how did you have that insight? Because I see a lot of people fall into the trap of, I'm going to automate everything. I'm not going to put a phone number. I'm going to like be really restrictive of who can schedule a call with me. For example, like I have a, a Calendly link on my Twitter bio for 15 minutes. I'll talk to anybody. And the reality is, is, and I do have like, there is some constraints of, on my calendar of how many 15 minute calls can be scheduled. But I feel like I'm naked without that feedback loop happening. Even with existing customers, I'm like after a certain amount of time, they get a link to have a conversation with me if they want to. And I, I'm trying to serve them and remove any friction that's left over. Invaluable. But how did you come to that insight and not fall into that trap of um, I'm going to hide behind the website? Um, well, for one thing, I like talking to people and asking questions. So it's something I naturally do. And, and I've heard this repeatedly from my podcast guests, particularly the ones that are the big names, the ones that you think are the most inaccessible, they all carve out time to talk to their ideal audience. Before they launch anything new, they spend a lot of time in that space doing, doing a lot of market research, and they also will beta test things with a small group before they launch anything. Yeah, that's... They don't, they don't publicize that necessarily, but I've heard this from them over and over again. Yeah, they're doing the, uh, the piloting and the beta testing and um, specifically for course creation, I say there's like a real danger in going in what side what I call a course creation cave. And some people disappear into the cave for like a month, three months, a year, even two years making something without any kind of feedback loop open. 
uh, or beta testing or piloting with real people that are in their target market is very dangerous. You may get lucky, but in my experience, most people who take that route fail. I wanted to ask you about, um, in the expert space, courses and membership sites are one thing. I have a concept called Course Plus. Like in order to get results for people, it's not just about the course. Like, and for every industry, it's different what they might need. Because you can have a Course Plus, and I'm just going to list off a bunch. You can have services, done-for-you services, masterminds, group coaching, private coaching, other products, um, live events, online, online events, uh, you know, social communities that help people not feel so isolated as they work through this issue or chase this opportunity. What, let's talk about um, that as specifically in context of your focus on multiple income streams and having a long-term marathon multi-year plan. Um, if you haven't done any of those, pick the one that's most comfortable for you and it's easiest for you to actually perform and start there. Yeah, for me, as an example, like I'm more of an introvert. Like I'm not going to lead with live events. I may do that later, but I'm not going to lead with that. <laughs> like I, I'm, I would do more like group virtual coaching, which I like in smaller groups. So like I'm not saying do them all, but I think that is really important. Like you got to play to your strengths. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, you don't have to do them all. Just yeah. because you see other people making money in all of those areas doesn't mean that you have to build a business doing all those things. Like, like for me, I like one-on-one -on -one conversations and I like asking questions. So for me, a podcast is like a natural. It's really yeah. easy for me to do. Um, it kind of suits who I am. And, um, and I actually really like the intimacy that audio conversations create. It's sort of, it's interesting. Like you and I are doing this now on video. It's very yeah. different than doing this on audio. You were on my show recently and we did it audio only. We didn't see each other. Yeah. It's a different experience. Well, that's because I'm a marketer and like, I'm not going to miss out on the opportunity to get some more stuff on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is. Uh, they're, they're, with podcasting, I found that um, like just ob observing myself as I listen to podcasts, I have a pretty deep relationship with some podcast hosts that they have no idea who I am, but I've literally been, they've been in my ears for years and uh, it's very powerful. Like if you're an expert um, coach consultant type person, I think if I had to pick one, the podcasting skill set, at least for like getting that momentum and start creating content, I found it to be a phenomenal tool. Right. And, and part of the reason I think why is because as a consultant or coach, the better your listening skills are, the better you're going to be able to connect with clients and solve their problems. And podcasting really trains your listening skills. It does. Can you tell more on that? Like, how does podcasting do that? Um, I, I find that people who are good podcast hosts have um, they have a rough idea of some of the things they want to cover. They have a place where they want to start a conversation. They're listening for cues from the guest. This is like in an interview based show, listening for cues from the guest and constantly probing to go deeper. 
um, one of the one of the people who's who's one of the the best at it is Terry Gross from Fresh Air, who, if you listen to her show, she has a remarkable ability to enable her guests to feel comfortable enough to be quite vulnerable in what they discuss. Um, and I know she's, she doesn't, she, she's not out to, um, to trick people or to um, move them in any area where they're uncomfortable. Her, her, her goal for the show is to have guests as comfortable as possible. Yet her listening ability really extracts um, a lot of great detail from guests. Yeah, listening is is a big part of coaching and consulting. I think that's a, um, especially with new coaches or consultants, or if they're transitioning from into the online space to try to scale, it's it's challenging to not like kind of rush in with all the answers and the plan, but to really sit back and listen and personalize. And uh, yeah, it's uh, the power is in the questions. I, I like that a lot. Um, before, in our pre-chat before the show, in terms of um, multiple streams, we were talking about Dory Clark uh, as an example, expert who, who uh, she does a lot of different things to kind of build her expert business or her, you know, her, her online business or just her, her business period. What kind of what, what, what do you see as like, why has she been successful at that? And what, what are the pieces that she put together or others like her that work that you've seen? Yeah. So um, in Dory's case, and Dory's been a guest on my show more than once. Um, and and um, I think the way she's built her business is really uh, quite extraordinary and people can learn a lot from her. Uh, she started out, first of all, she was unemployed and knew she needed to start a business. She did her market research initially and, um, and just did a lot of research in her space. And as somebody who is naturally a writer, that led to a book. And the book, uh, A, the first book was really well done. Um, it led to other kinds of opportunities. I don't know in what order Dory actually uh, developed different revenue streams. I know that she's a, she's a paid speaker. Um, paid speaking may have been fairly early on in her progression. I think she came later to things like online courses and community building. Um, but I know that, that she has not done it um, all at once. She's done it in a progression, in a progression that I think works well for who she is and what her talents are. And she's also done this over a lot of years. This is not quick. I mean, she's been at this, um, I'm guessing it's like probably 10 years or more at this point. Um, so, so it's not like um, she was making a ton of money the first year. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. It is a marathon. And, and one mistake I see people making in the online training space is they, they, they try to start as their very first thing with the membership site that has like this huge catalog of courses, all these other like... Um, you know, eBooks and they build like this really complex like thing when you can just start with like one thing, you don't have to, 
once you get a lot of that stuff together, then you can start getting into these bundles of things. But um, yeah, Correct. I mean, sometimes it starts with one course, one book, um, you know, one speaking gig. Like it's not so overwhelming when you take it like one thing at a time. <laughs> Correct. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, um, just in terms of just your experience across uh, all your interviews, over 400 interviews. You mentioned that some of the people that are the most successful have a feedback loop open where they are, uh, they're actively engaging, listening, and testing with real, their real target markets. What are some other kind of things that you've seen pop up by interviewing all these people that allows them to build successful businesses that just looks like a trend? They get help. <laughs> They're not afraid to ask for help. No, seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, there is um, what I think is an American myth. The rugged that, individualist? Right. Um, if you look at any successful business person, um, chances are they're not the rugged individualist. There's somebody who had an idea. They, um, they had a perception about a pain point in a particular target audience. They did some market research. They tested. They offered something. Um, very often they'll sell something first and then they'll actually figure out how to deliver it, which is... Um, a lot easier than building something and hoping they will come and being disappointed when they don't. Um, and they, like, like being a CEO, even if it's a CEO of a one person business, you've got to wear, as you mentioned earlier, you've got to wear a lot of hats. And almost no one has that complete skill set. So, how do you fill in the gaps what, of what you need to actually run a successful business? Um, you can learn if, if there, there are, um, qualifications that you would like to develop yourself, you can learn them. So you can hire somebody who can teach you, um, coach, you could, you can join um, a group program where the group is all working on a similar kind of, uh, activity with a similar kind of desired outcome. You can hire team members and, even if you're a small business, you don't have to invest a lot of money in team members. Um, I know, for example, um, people that have, uh, like in the podcast space, um, almost, uh, there are some people that actually do everything with, related to their podcast alone. Um, and in my business, we've, um, I'm trying to think, we've almost never had only me doing the everything related to the podcast. There have been some times when I've had my hand in a lot of it. Um, but for the most part, I've had a team that has helped with some of the administration and the production steps that are not really something either I want to spend my time on or where, where I have the most skill set. My skill set is actually doing the, the interviewing and having the conversations with guests. So I try to minimize my time in all the other areas by either automating or hiring team members, um, which you can do in today's, in today's world pretty easily um, at relatively low cost. So get help is, is one of the big ones. And I want to add one other thing about being in a group. The power of being in a group uh, for learning is not only 
are you gaining some kind of knowledge from the facilitator of the group who is, you know, who I guess in, in most cases would be the expert who's transferring some knowledge. You're also getting um, both feedback and ideas from the experiences of the other group members. And if you think about how innovation often happens, it's like you're learning something that might've been applied in a different industry as an example, and you're applying it to your own, um, to your own niche. And that can, that can happen really easily in a group where people are non-competitive and, and have a trusting relationship with one another. So uh, what I see from people that I've interviewed, they, they spend a fair amount of time getting help. That is really awesome. And I actually just want to restate some of the things you just said, because there's, you know, I'm trying to mine as much value as I can out of you. And then therefore out of the 400 people you've interviewed, 400 plus. So you said that uh, some of the most successful people, they build a team. They don't try to wear all the hats by themselves. Just as an example, one of my most successful clients when I did work with him, uh, amazing consultant, expert. I helped him come online. My company did, not just me, with an online presence. Really helped him scale. But he had three, three assistants. He had like a video crew. He would bring in um, other guest experts to help build out some of the content library. And he hired us to handle all the tech. <laughs> so like... He was, he was probably, he was our most successful client. He's still in business today. Even though he paid a lot of money, he got 10 to 100 times the value out of what we charged him. But it wasn't just because of us. It was because he had an A team. And, uh, but he started small and slowly added team members. I, I don't know his whole trajectory because we came in after he was kind of in motion, but I'm sure he started with just like one assistant. Um, you also mentioned the power of validation and just saving time to make sure you validate. Um, you mentioned having an open mind and humility around the gaps. Like what are you honestly not good at or where might you have a blind spot that you're unaware of? You mentioned using automation and good processes mm -hmm. as a side note, this whole podcasting thing, I'm at 250 episodes or so. And, uh, all I pretty much do is the live call and then I have a process. This is like a side thing for me. But if I did all the work on it, it would take up too much time and then it wouldn't be worth it. But, you know, it's, I have like three people that help with it. Um, you mentioned learning from different industries, which I find a really powerful insight. Um, I'm constantly studying even things as different as uh, like biological nature processes and see it. And sometimes you get an idea from some like ecological process that's running that you can apply to your business or maybe something from sports or whatever your hobby is that you pull out like a business insight from like being a, a what do they call them? Like a polymath and just like learning, loving learning across different things. It all compounds on itself. And you also mentioned the, the power of group learning, which is a, a thing I'm a huge component of, and social learning, uh, and just getting with other people on the journey, whether that's masterminds, uh, online communities, in person, however you can do it, one-on-one, -on -one, friendships, all that stuff is super powerful. But 
since you were giving all the wisdom from 400 plus episodes, I want to make sure to put a summary in there. Do you have any other comments on that before we move on? Yeah, actually, I have a couple other that I thought about with regard okay. to with regard to team. Yeah. Um, one is when you delegate, if actually, let me back up a step. Entrepreneurs are notorious for the bright, shiny object syndrome. Um, yeah. So like, I have a new idea that I'd like to roll out. And um, I may start on it, but when the next new idea shows up, I drop it. Yeah. When you have, when you delegate, it forces you to be accountable. Like if you, if you hire a team member and you meet with that team member once a week, you get feedback on what they've accomplished over the previous week and you strategize and create a plan for the following week then you're creating accountability right there. And it's actually accountability for the implementation of your ideas. So that, that's really powerful. Um, second thing I would say is if you, as you're thinking about either starting or growing a business around your expertise, if you design the business in the way that it will run without you, you'll be an awful lot more profitable. Because as, as experts, we're used to being the ones to solve the problem, but that doesn't scale, right? So if you want to do things like online courses and, and build community and all these other things, you, what you're really doing is you're designing a business that's going to run without you. But you can actually think about how do I solve my ideal customer's problems over and over again without me having to do it? And if you think about if you have that mindset from the beginning, you're going to be way more profitable. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love that. It's almost like um, making the transition or the transformation from you being the talent to your system and your process and your, you know, transformation that you have organized. That's, that's the talent. Which also means, by the way, Chris, you've got to leave your ego at the door. Yep. It's hard for people to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that helps with that is a mindset that I've learned called failure is just a learning opportunity. So embrace it. If you love learning, like, I, I don't know, like some people say, what is it? Fail fast or fail a lot. There's a lot of like kind of buzz phrases out there, but um, if you do your market research and you're strategic and you're committed and you're passionate, um, you are going to have failures on the way, but don't let that like, just treat it like a learning experience, not like a, a you know, this huge negative event. Also, by the way, Chris, as the CEO, if you have that attitude about failures, make sure that it's actually part of your culture. It's not just apply to yourself. That if you have team members and they fail, don't blame them for the failure. Think about how it's a learning opportunity. If people repeat the same failure over and over again, it's a different issue. But if they have a failure once and they learn from it, that's a different story. Because if you create a culture where it's a, a blame oriented culture, then people are going to be reluctant to take calculated risks. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love that you bring that up. We, uh, we do that kind of in our weekly meetings. I like to push and bring up like failures and I usually lead with myself. Like, you know, I really just blew a bunch of money on this advertising thing. I, I ran the experiment for the month. I set it up so that we could track whether it would be successful or not. And I just totally bombed and failed on that one. And then I'll, I'll pass it over to the team to like go around the table. We can learn together and move on. It's almost like a, you just have to be like clinical about it and not take it personally. Like this thing 
I tried this experiment. These were the variables that didn't work. Should we, you know, like pivot on that, try to tweak the dials or just like throw it in the trash can? Or maybe we didn't instrument the experiment well enough to even tell if we're successful or not. So maybe that's the problem. I don't know. But there's a, I love that comment about embracing a culture of failure. Um, you also have a, um, like you focus on helping people unlock recurring revenue in a way. What are some of the things you've learned? Like in general, like in the online course and the membership site space, a lot of people want recurring revenue. To do that, you have to have recurring value, which some people overlook that fundamental. But like, what do you see as some tips around creating recurring revenue? Um, rather than think about how do I solve the particular problem that my client is facing today, think about what aspect of that problem does my client face every month, every week. So recurring problems. Week. Recurring problems. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can't provide recurring value unless there's a recurring problem. Right? Yeah. It's like um, the, the um, plumber comes to replace the boiler. That's a one-time fix. Yeah. If what the plumber is responsible for is making sure that we have adequate heating and air conditioning all year round and can charge a monthly price for that, that's a whole different story. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great analogy. I think um, in terms of learning from another industry, um, you can look like there's this whole like membership economy happening where, for example, there's all these things that come in boxes to people's houses once a month or once a right. week, like, uh, like HelloFresh, I think is like a meal delivery thing or you get ingredients and then you cook. Like everybody needs to eat. Everybody's really busy. There's a recurring problem there. So an entrepreneur built a, a process and a system around that. Correct. There's, uh, there's other like recurring, um, like for example, in the biohacking space, which is something I'm interested in, uh, there's companies out there that will send like a box of like biohacking gear that you can experiment with like every month, which is fulfilling your recurring problem of like just an obsession with optimizing and experimenting and challenging assumptions around health, uh, which is a, that's a totally different kind of problem than just needing to eat, which is really primal. Um, but it's also like, I just want to throw this out there to the course building community. If you have a, just as a thought exercise, whatever niche you're in, like, could you actually do a physical box like thing that you add on to your offer that's included in the price or whatever that's profitable for you that comes once a month or four times a year, even if it's just reading. Like I see behind you, you have a lot of books. One of the simplest ones to put together is like the essential books for whatever your niche is and you get a new one every month and maybe you're, you're marking up the fee so that you, um, you know, it's profitable for you. But what people are paying for is your expertise. Everybody's really busy. So like maybe this certain book, like the one thing is really important and you're, you're fine with paying a, I would be glad to pay a, like a, 
double, triple the price for that just to have it hand-selected for me is like, this is the one you should read, not these thousand others right now in your business because you understand my journey as uh, in whatever niche I am. And so just throwing that out there. Anything else on recurring revenue before we yeah, do? That, that's a great one, actually. What you're talking about is curated content. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, a lot of people think about like newsletters is like a free thing you do for content marketing and building your email list. But I'm a member of some paid email newsletters that like I get a ton of value out of and I'm happy to pay. So um, I'm paying for the curation and it's so relevant to like some very tight niches that I'm in that it's a no brainer. <laughs> um, well, that, that's a perfect transition actually into my next question for you, which is around community building. When I came on your podcast, Smashing the Plateau, I could tell that you have an entire system around like uh, getting an introduction to another guest and like your process and like getting me ready for the show, knowing what I need and all this stuff. Like there's a clear process around that, which is awesome. And it like it may it may gave me confidence. I know I'm gonna this is gonna be a fun show, it's gonna be good, everything's gonna be organized and tight. Uh but I'm sure like podcasting helps build your um email list or your following or your community. Whether it's podcasting or not, what are what's some advice you have for course creators on building community? Um well, one is actually what you just mentioned, which is think about what the initial point of contact, contact is and what the new person coming in will perceive as valuable. Um, so in our case, we ask a lot of questions of podcast guests because it helps create a better interview because it helps me be well-prepared as the host. Um, clearly on the flip side, the guests know that this is gonna be a really focused discussion on your expertise. So there is value in that. Um, second is once you're in the community, what, what is it that your community members need and value on an ongoing basis? I think your example, Chris, about the paid newsletter is, is a really great one. Um, what is it that your community members struggle with the most around the areas of your competence and how can you provide some kind of ongoing solution that they will find valuable and therefore be happy to pay you so, because it will help solve their problems so that they, because essentially, why does somebody join a community? Um, they have a problem they want to solve and usually it, it involves wanting to make more money, save money, or save time. Um, in today's world, a lot of it has to do with saving time. And, and if you, so, so you got to think about what you're going to provide that actually solves those problems. And then the, the second piece about community building, you need to be good at maintaining the relationships in your community because uh, people often join a community because they have a particular problem they want to solve. They have some kind of knowledge they want to, they want to access. Um, they develop relationships in the community and they will often stay because of the relationships. It's like, 
I, I was um, a member of a local business networking group for a number of years. And it always astounded me that some of the best members weren't getting a lot of new business from this business network. Yet they had um, tremendous, um, tremendous value in the relationships that they had developed with people who became their friends, not just their business colleagues, but their friends. And they wanted to see them every week. Yeah. So that was as important to them, if not more important than actually bringing in new dollars. Yeah. The community piece is huge. Uh, some people ask me like, how'd you get like a 5,000 person Facebook group around for course creators? And I say, like, uh, I say the secret to my overnight success is four years of engaging daily and answering people's questions, connecting them to resources. Like I spend time in there every day almost. And uh, it's not, a community is not something you build and like if you build it, they will come, but it's not going to survive if there's not that actual engagement. Exactly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big follower of Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. But I did hear him say something the other day, which is one of the things he looks for for communities that are going to be successful is that the owner or the founder is like engaged, like in the conversation or the comments or the, you know, the replies or whatever it is. Because if it's just there and somebody's just posting and never talking in the comments, that's like a signal that, hey, this one might not last or might not grow. Um, I've got one more. I'll just do the short version with you. Um, <clears throat> One of my processes, I don't have a, a super structured process for podcasting, but I know course creators face the, the problems across the five hats I mentioned. So I actually, the way I interview is I actually work through those and we've covered a lot of those. The only one we didn't really hit on is the technology piece. So whether it's like hardware or like a computer program or something you set up in your office to make it productive, what's one like technology piece that uh, helps you as an expert in your own right? Or like, you know, like what's your favorite microphone or any of that stuff? Like what, what has unlocked some value for you tech-wise? Um, the phone, old-fashioned, plain, plain old-fashioned telephone because I can actually have a live conversation with somebody. It's, it's so underutilized today. People are afraid to pick up the phone and call people. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, like, if you throw in, if you integrate your Google Calendar and you integrate something like Calendly or Acuity or whatever, you don't have to spend a lot. You can protect your capacity while automating all the back and forth of having to schedule all that when it's convenient for everybody. So that's a great tip to close out on. David Schreiner-Khan, he's at smashingtheplateau.com. Check out his podcast. Anyway, anywhere else people can connect with you on the internet, David? Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, um, somewhat on Facebook and Twitter. I would say LinkedIn primarily. Awesome. Well, David, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. We'll have to do it again sometime. Thanks so much, Chris. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.